Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The views and opinions expressed by hosts, invited speakers, and callers do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the Black Talk Media Project or the Black Talk Radio Network. Well, some people like to dismiss slavery like it was nothing. But you see, slavery, it can never be forgotten. Some people not gonna like what me say, but me I gonna say it anyway. We are gonna talk about slavery and the effects of it today. Some people just don't want to know about 400 years ago. But the thing about slavery, it's affecting people now. I tell you no lie. Peace and welcome to the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johanna Nalaya here on the Black Talk Radio Network. It is April 20th, 2015. We are broadcasting to you live from behind enemy lines in this domestic colony known as the United States of America. Still dealing with modern day slavery, still dealing with human trafficking, still dealing with the torture, with the rape with the mistreatment of those who have been convicted and detained and enslaved on the American prison plantation system. And as information comes out to us and becomes available to us all the time, we are here to report to you all the news, information, bring you enlightenment and understanding of what we're dealing with, give you options for ways that we can fight this system, that we can bring home those that have been stolen from us, the ways that we can get justice for those that have been killed, tortured, altered by this system, ways that we can bring down this system. That is what an abolitionist does, is they abolish a system. And that's what we're striving to do here. Uh, abolitionist Daily is a direct descendant, I guess you could say, of the regular program, New Abolitionist Radio, also here on the Black Talk Radio Network, where... Uh, my co-host Scotty Reed, the founder and CEO of the Black Talk Media Project, um, and Max Parthas, abolitionist extraordinaire, interla- internationally known and respected everywhere he goes, are my co-host. We bring this news and information to you once a week for about two hours on every Wednesday evening, 8 p.m. Eastern time, but it's just not enough time in those two hours to get all of this evil that the slave catchers and the slave overseers and the profiteers are doing to you and I and our families and our communities and leaving a name for us in history as being people who are going along with slavery. So we have a daily program where we discuss whatever comes across the wire and we follow stories over time and give you updates on what's happening and new Developments and, and how these things play out. And we're really dissecting this and creating a body of evidence for when we bring our RICO charges, when we bring uh, charges of, of modern-day slavery and human trafficking, human rights violations, constitutional rights violations, 
against these people who choose to do this as a way of generating billions and billions of dollars for their personal enrichment. So that's why I'm here. I hope that you are here because you care about slavery. You care about this system that is doing all these things. You care about your jobs being ripped out of the public sector and forced fit into the slave plantation system. I hope that you're here because you care about the people that you vote for or even if they're the people that you voted for the other guy and these people just keep getting back in but you feel a need to hold politicians accountable because you are a voting constituent. You are someone that even if you didn't vote for them, they should be looking to convert your vote to make you for them and see the benefit in them getting in office when the person that you thought maybe would do better didn't make it. They shouldn't just be leaving us all high and dry like, well, you didn't vote for me. Screw you. I'm doing what I want to do. They should still care. We do have a say-so. We do pay taxes. We do pay to live on earth. We do pay to live in America. We do sacrifice blood, sweat, and tears and sacrifice our family and our personal desires and dreams and goals and to go to jobs and get money so we can pay to be a part of their system where they claim they are protecting us. They claim we pay because they're providing for us and they're giving us things and they're making conveniences for us and they're providing safety for us and they're providing a military for us and they're providing defenses for us so the people that want to attack us and boogeymen that want to come and kill us and steal this land like they stole the land, well they their number one concern is protecting what they've stolen and so that's why we do what we do because we wouldn't pay for any other reason I can't imagine that we would continue to generate revenue fiat dollars to turn around and give them right back to them so they can do us the way they do us unless we thought we needed to be protected unless we thought that we needed their systems because they're so convenient and their institutions because they're so much better than what we would do if we just took care of one another if we use our takes a village to raise a child type of mentality versus just put my kid in public school and everything will work out and they can go to college they'll go get a job and the world will just keep turning so we're here to discuss why the jobs are gone we're here to discuss why the taxes are continuing to rise we're here to discuss why safety and security is kind of a joke when you consider the way that they're administrating these offices of our protection, these these departments. We're here to discuss today a story that came out a few days ago, over the weekend anyway, that says the FBI is admitting that there's flaws in their hair analysis and that there have been over the last several decades. So, I don't even, I, all I can do on this one is just read this story and let you understand pretty clearly what they're saying to you. Um, the, the, the people that are involved in slavery and involved in trying to control everybody else's life and trying to tell people what is, what is a, you know, a crime when you're talking about a nonviolent, victimless, so-called offense of, of drug, uh, some type of a, a drug use or same as drinking or same as consuming sugar or salt for that matter. Sugar's been proven to be very similar to cocaine in the way that it makes the brain and the body react. 
and the body does have a reaction to it, and it can kill you. Over time, it does kill people, very similar to consuming cocaine over a lifetime of, you know, taking this in. If you took it in in the same amounts as you took in sugar every day, you would die the same way, but the sugar industry gets a pass. We're all good. You should eat all you can, and everybody has diabetes and obesity and heart problems and everything else. But the people that regulate these things and decide and put us in these situations and put us in prison, they're out of their minds, and they don't have anything in place that's working. This is a system of lawlessness. So this story is going to show you, and then I'm going to reflect back to Supreme Court Justice Scalia's declaration that, you know, we haven't killed anyone in our methods of execution. We haven't executed any innocent people in America. That's just, you know, it hasn't happened. So we'll reflect on his comments about that. Um and we're going to talk about uh, a um, hunger strike going on in the um, private family detention centers. One in the uh, Carnes Residential Center down in South Texas. And despite the claims by the director of ICE, Sarah Saldana, and others that work for ICE and, and, and are looking out for the president's best interest as he's signed this executive order to not enforce the law, basically. We're going to look at this situation of the hunger strike down there. And then, interestingly enough, just last week, there was a meeting with the House Judiciary Committee where Sister Sarah went before them and discussed her role as the somewhat new director of immigration and customs enforcement. And there was some interesting uh, sound bites and quotes that came from that meeting. There was at one point, and I don't know if it was just political grandstanding because the Republicans are obviously going to be against what Obama has chosen to do. So it's a, it's just the same old Dems versus Repubs war or whatever, but you know, they don't respect president Obama's office. They don't respect him as an individual they're, they have used everything they can to tear him down head to toe about everything he said and done. And I'm not some blind supporter, but, I mean, I can see what goes on. And from watching this video and analyzing the transcripts, there are places where United States members of Congress um, openly admit to and discuss um, very candidly that the United States is involved in human trafficking so we will discuss that like I said in conjunction with the uh, hunger strike going on at, at Carnes Residential Center where the people are worth $300 a head per day over $100,000 a year per individual I'm going to look back at a story I wasn't able to cover uh, last week when it first started to surface. But there was a brother in Baltimore that the news that we first got that came out was that there was a man, he was unidentified. But while in custody of Baltimore police, he suffered a broken spine. As I understood at the time, several vertebrae were broken. He was paralyzed. He was near death. He was in the hospital in ICU and he was in a coma. Well, the police were not uh, willing or able to comment on it when it was all going on originally. 
and we were all kind of just in the dark wondering you know what really happened here or what what are the details is this guy alive is he dead I mean you know what what do they do we really couldn't get anything out of them and there was um, even further fallout in the city of Baltimore as one of their police officials actually stepped down and now Freddie Gray has died so we're adding him into the list he goes from being one of the abused obviously to now he's on the on the list of unexplainable black deaths so we'll look at his situation and he will be our unexplainable black death profile for today but we'll just look at his city at his situation and just try to figure out what's going on in in baltimore overall i mean the city has a 2.5 million dollar cap on its wrongful death on its police abuse you know the, the civil suits that come against these cops 2.5 million dollar cap is because there's so damn many lawsuits and they're typically always adjudicated in favor of the the claimant the person that's 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 bringing the suit has a, a reasonable lawsuit and so what happens is the city's found guilty all the time So we've got quite a bit of information about what has gone on in Baltimore, you know, even here recently, um, the killings of, of citizens. And I mean, it's just it's ridiculous what we're dealing with in America right now. And another story that, that came out that kind of had me. I don't know. I mean, with the police thing, while we talk about the police here is because the police in America are 100 percent rooted in the history of catching slaves that's where the original patrols came from white wealthy landowners paid out of work for white folks and as you see the police are always so proud to be connected you know to their Irish history and you hear Irish people talk about how they had it as bad as black folks in America because they were made slaves too and they were seen as being second class and they weren't like the wasps or whatever or they weren't like the Whatever they that's their thing is to jump in and say, well, we got treated, you know. And there's even the book, you know, how the Irish became white, and there's quite a bit of information in there, just kind of showing you the matriculation from being treated like the, the what they say the redheaded stepchild. I mean, that's kind of the same state of mind to be in or what have you. But they were hired to become the enforcers, become the slave catchers. And that tradition continued on through throughout all the, you know, colony cities, Philadelphia, Boston is where it started, Philadelphia and moves out, moves all into the south, obviously, all through the plantation states. And this whole thing is where the policing originally began with slave catching and then ultimately revenue generation. And we see across the country now that this is, you know, still what they do is revenue generation and slave catching. No one in prison would be there without direct escort by police some law enforcement agency some officer of the law is going to come and take you to jail and you sit in jail and you face your charges and then you get the guilty verdict and then they're going to escort you to the prison 
or to the jail. And when they take the cuffs off, you are in the cell. You are on the plantation. And then when they decide to send you to work, you go to work. When they pay you 17 cents an hour, you are officially a slave. You're working for slave wages, forced labor. Regardless of how you got there, a cop took you there. And when you get there, that's what you're going to be doing. So this is the slave connection. So when we talk about police so much, I just want people to understand we're talking about police because the police are the slave catchers. And that's where that comes from. So when they kill people in custody, that's someone that couldn't survive the kidnapping. When they illegally detain people, that's someone who was stolen just like back in the Solomon Northrop days. So that's the connection. And we're going to talk about, I'll just lead off the program. We'll just take this into our first break, likely. Uh, this story about a young kid that his mother thought he was missing, nine years old. And then she finds out that he was arrested and had been in police being detained by police so this is just like our lead in we'll we'll ramp it up and talk about you know get into bigger and bigger stories and more about you know the system itself and overall but this is just what can happen to you this is why when we lead off the program we talk about being behind enemy lines when I say to you that we are in a domestic colony as people of color specifically we're in a domestic colony there's powers outside of the black community that control what goes on with the black community. And we have to adhere to those laws and to those controls and those suggestions and those demands. We have to comply with that. We don't have control of our own revenues, of our own uh, resources, rather. Whether it be human resources, we don't have control, as this story is going to show. Whether it's natural resources found in the ground, we don't own the land. We don't mine and go down and get the oil and get the natural gas, and we don't control the water. We don't control the the groceries. We don't control the the farming or the livestock. We don't control the markets. We live in a system where we are controlled. So that's the whole idea of being in a domestic colony. Someone else tells us what to do. Someone else controls where we go and what we can do. This is the particular institutional or social system that we live in. So this young boy, it says Stephanie Horton, who was a mother, was in a state of panic on Wednesday night when her nine-year-old son, Camian Strouder, was missing. She called police and worry after he failed to return home as, as he was instructed. Horton later found out that her son wasn't exactly missing. He was, in fact, taken into police custody after being after being accused of performing a home invasion. The third grader was expelled from Palmer Park Prep School earlier that week and had nowhere to go but home. Horton headed out to her job at 9 a.m. on Wednesday, and Strauder headed outside to play with his friends. That night, he never returned back home, so Horton phoned police. One day later, the police called to inform her that her son wasn't missing. He was in their custody. Late on Thursday, Horton learned that prosecutors had dropped the case. About two hours ago is when I got a call, she tells reporters. They said they have had him in detention since 1 p.m. yesterday. 
When Horton went to pick her son up from the juvenile detention center on Thursday afternoon, she learned that Strutter was arrested on Wednesday. Police took him into custody when walking down the street. He and a teenage friend were accused of breaking into a home down the street from where they were picked up. I asked how I could not be notified until 24 hours later, she said. No explanation, no information, no anything. Detroit police claimed that Strider told him he didn't have his mother's number, so instead they went to her home. No one was there. I'm still in shock. I'm relieved. I'm also upset. I'm going through a bunch of emotions, she says. She was still concerned about her son's well-being, who has been in trouble many times before. She's also concerned about the company that he keeps. There's some older guys who come and take him, and he does what they tell him to do, she said. We've been having a problem with that, coinciding with an officer trying to keep it, keep them away from here, but so far it hasn't worked. Horton, who works full-time, is trying to get a handle on her son for now before it, before it becomes too late. So this is a story written to you by, this is a website called Naturally Moi, which is supposed to be like a black, you know, run website, and it's sometimes difficult to know who really owns these sites and who really controls content because they'll put a black seeming name or a black avatar or something and make you and then they'll go ahead and disparage black people right on the website but at any rate the little boy has some issues okay we got that pretty strongly through the story and we got this idea that the police have been trying to help him and even as the story finishes it says they're trying to figure out some kind of way to help him before it's too late and you know what that too late is any guess on what that means when she says when the story says she's working full time and she's still trying to get a handle on her son before it becomes too late. Any guess what the author of this story means about before it's too late? They mean before he gets killed by the cops. Pretty obvious. That's the first thing that crossed my mind when I read that. Damn, before it's too late. Instead of shining any kind of light on how there's no programs in place to help this child, how there's nothing in place community resources of any sort these people are being taxed without any kind of representation these people are being taxed and 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 overburdened with these costs of living only to get no representation to get no help to get no anything from the city is just wild wild west go for your own do what you can do make the best of it for yourself but if you don't do the right thing if you don't come up with an answer we'll be here to put you on the plantation we'll be here to, to shoot you down this is Detroit this is the same city of course that is cut off historically you know cut like a precedent set cutting off tens of thousands of people's water in the city over bills in a lot of cases that aren't even a hundred dollars I've seen it myself. I have people that are in Detroit. That we've discussed this. I've watched the reports. I've talked to them personally. People that are helping to supply water to folks that have been cut off for months. And these people are getting cut off over $79 bills, $97 bills, $150 bills. It's not all people that are just so far behind and they just never paid their water bill and it just... I mean, even if it was a $1,000 water bill and you haven't paid in two months and so they just feel like they cut you off indefinitely, there's no one going after the businesses in Detroit that have run up million-dollar, literally million-dollar water bills and never even thought to pay them. There's no one seeking to find out who owns the properties where water is flowing from abandoned homes. There's abandoned houses all around in the city where water is just flowing out of the house into the street. 
and there's nobody nobody on that so there's obviously an attack on the people the poor and the people of color as everywhere else all over the freaking planet but there's obviously an attack on these people and this kid has been kicked out of his school they don't talk about why he was kicked out of school we've told you about the prison the school to prison pipeline here several times there's no telling what he was suspended for and eventually expelled for there, there's absolutely no telling how petty it may have been because we've told you about stories where children have been suspended for where school wears a uniform and the little kid wears a blue sweater when they're supposed to have a, the school's blue sweater but it's not the exact same color who knows was the sweater dirty I mean it is a child they could spill something that needs to be cleaned they didn't they couldn't wear it the next day whatever the reason suspended for wearing a blue sweater to school suspended for talking back suspended or hell we talked about the little kid that was arrested for talking back and he had autism and we've told you about dozens and dozens of stories and we know there are tens of thousands of stories all over the country all the time and all they tell you is that this young boy was was expelled from school so now you see what happens when you take a third grader and you just give up on him and you just kick him out into the street there should be no justification for kicking a third grade child out of the system that we're paying to keep up and running that are supposed to be educating and caring for our children there simply is no excuse you should have something developed where you can work with the child up to and including anything that it can do I mean all the way into breaking straight up laws the school system should be that well thought out and planned out and something they can use to that end instead of begging for money and not being able to pay the staff and not being able to keep anything going and always a day late and a dollar short just looking to get rid of children because they think they're a problem throwing them in the street and then throwing them in jail so I've gotten my first rant out of the way when we come back we're going to talk about the uh, hunger strike in Carnes Family Detention Center this is the Abolitionist Daily this is Johan and Elia we'll be right back Uh, the, the power structure has successfully created uh, the image of the American Negro as someone with no confidence, no militancy. And uh, they had done this by giving him images of heroes that weren't truly militant or confident. And now here come Cassius, uh, the exact contrast of everything that uh, was representative of the Negro image. He said he was the greatest. Uh, all of the odds were against him. He upset the odds makers. He won. He became victorious. He became the champ. They knew that as soon as uh, if people began to identify with Cassius and the type of image he was creating, they were going to have trouble out of these Negroes because they'd have Negroes walking around the street saying, I'm the greatest, 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 greatest. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johanna and Elia here on the Black Talk Radio Network. This service is provided in high definition by... Access code accepted. You are the only participant in this conference. This conference is being recorded. Q&A session started. So as you hear from that, the phone lines are open. 
So if you have questions or comments or concerns you want to be a part of the program, please call in. The number is area code 712-775-7039. Access code is 367526-POUND. Hit star six and then one, and you will be in the caller's queue. We'll bring you on air. You are welcome to share with us any of your ideas or questions, concerns, disputes that you may have with what is shared on this program. I I do get the messages. I do get the emails. So uh, shout out to our listeners that have emailed and reached out, whether it's in love and support or or you want to connect and build or whether it's a, a, a rant and you can't stand what we talk about and you don't believe what I say and all this other stuff, I I see it all. It doesn't affect me because at the end of the day, I'm against slavery. So you don't have to like me. I don't like slavery. It's not even personal to you. I don't, I don't really know any of the people that have sent me these crazy messages or think I talk too much or that I don't know what I'm talking about or make these claims that are logical fallacies. I never said that I don't think crime should be punished. I just don't believe in slavery. So let's just start there. And for anyone that doesn't know, since I'm bringing that up, let me just make it clear to you what we're discussing, what we're talking about. Because I guess some people maybe don't even really know. They're just ranting out of emotion. And I, I mean, I can understand that. I mean, Ignorance is what it is. It makes a victim of a person until they can learn better. So until you know, you're ignorant of, you know, the information. You don't know. You don't have knowledge of what it is. So let me just tell you, the 13th Amendment to the Constitution declares that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for a crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist in the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So this is where the entire idea comes from us. That it's not mass incarceration, it's not the new Jim Crow, it's not crime and punishment, it's not all of these other things that we've been told that it is. And so that's where we're going to be dealing with your cognitive dissonance on this on this program if you're a disbeliever. It's just a matter of you have two competing ideas now. You heard the words literally from the Constitution of the United States just now. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for a crime. So you just heard that, and it just put a big rock right in the middle of your brain. You just heard that. It just You heard right. It said what it said. I didn't make that up. It says what it says in the Constitution. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as a punishment for a crime. And that now is competing with the other thought that you've had ingrained in your head since you were likely since you were a child. All of your history classes, all of your social studies classes, all the movies you watched, all the conversations you've heard, whether they were sympathetic towards people of color or towards slavery and saying, you know, look, we had a bad time. And whether it's that kind of thing or whether it's a straight up KKK racist, white pride worldwide, I hate niggers and whatever this kind of talk. Either way, both of those camps talks as though slavery ended. Only the abolitionists talk about the fact that slavery never ended. So whether you're a straight-up racist or you're the most liberal, loving, I love and accept everybody kind of person, either way, only the abolitionists are discussing how slavery never ended. So in as much as we are the ones that have to discuss this, we're prepared for nobody to believe us when they first hear what's going on. This is going to take you some time to develop 
the ability to really squeeze that other thought out of your head and realize, and that's what this program is for. We've got a, a uh, great wealth of archives of both this program, Abolitionist Daily, as well as New Abolitionist Radio, that goes back for some years. So you can go back and listen for yourself and hear all of the evidence. But that's what the basis of the program is, and that's where we're at right now. You and I, me is presenting this, you as the listener, the participant, person who wants to call in or share or email us at newabolitionistradio at gmail.com, or if you want to find us on our Facebook pages or however you want to contact us to let us know that you see the situation the way you see it, that's where we're at with it. That's where it started, was with the slave patrols. That's where it started, was with the Constitution saying that slavery was abolished except for this. So these are the situations that we're facing, and that's what we're discussing. So we'll talk about now Carn City, and this is from Raw Story. RawStory.com says, Detained asylum-seeking mothers at a for-profit detention center in Texas have gone on a hunger strike seeking their release. The women, many of whom fled from their countries in Central America out of fear of violence and persecution have all passed a credible fear test and qualify as asylum seekers. Despite that, they are still held with their children, some as young as two years old, in the Carnes Residential Center, like a prison-like facility in South Texas, waiting for their cases to be processed. Now, as we've talked about on this program several times, there are over 90,000 federal cases now for all these detention situations. This is by far the most popular case in our federal courts is over detention matters. I can guarantee you beyond any shadow of a doubt that the federal court system was never designed for this purpose specifically, was does not have the capacity to maintain a sustained effort to adjudicate in these matters on such a large scale does not have the proper staff with any genuine concern for these matters is not going to get this right is not even really supposed to get this right that's why they're flooding the courts with this because they want it to go wrong because they want these people to end up in these prisons they want these people to generate $300 a day per head for private prisons this was the point of private prisons lobbying U.S. Congress to get the 34,000 bid per day mandate that they have in place, that no one in Congress, when it's time to vote, is actually voting against. We've had so-called allies that have said that they were against it and that they were going to vote against it when the time came and this and that and other. We heard that. We went through that last year. And we watched right there live on C-SPAN and watched all of them come and stand and say whatever they had to say and they reconnected uh, themselves with us with the with the constituents, with the people with the abolitionists and said on the mic well, you know, we're against this and we're da 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 whatever and they don't think this is in all of these type of stuff and then when it was voting time though not a one of them voted against it so they voiced concerns but they didn't vote against it to strike it down and so when we talk about the uh, meeting that the director of uh, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, uh, Sarah Saldana, had with the House Judiciary Committee last week, something that was uh, discussed was that, you know, brought some enlightenment even to me because I'm not perfect. I don't get everything right. I am learning like you are. 
we found out that they do differentiate between the 34,000 per day mandate. They do know and, and do consider that to be a 34,000 bed capacity minimum made available. But they're saying that they're not forcing them to fill the beds with 34,000 people. And the rise of that conversation came from them quoting the numbers. And I mean, I'm somewhat jaded. I, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm a, I admit, I'm a kind of person that I'm not expecting to believe what they say. I'll just put it like that. I'm not expecting them to really be telling the truth, being forthcoming, being honest and upfront about what they're saying. I, I expect that I'm finding codes in what they're saying. I'm, I'm checking out for symbolism and, and making, you know, uh, them making communication about things that is not as forthcoming and upfront and forthright as it appears. So in the beginning of the, uh, of the meeting with the House Judiciary Committee, Bob Goodlady, who's one of the chairmen, uh, he starts off and he starts quoting out these, these, um, numbers. And he's putting it from the standpoint of President Obama is forcing ICE to not enforce the law with his executive order. So that is what the whole argument is about for like two and a half hours with Director Saldana is to say, are you going to follow what your boss has told you to do? Is ICE, are ICE agents going to continue to detain these people so we can get the money that we said that we prom the GEO group and CCA promised us and MTC promised us they would be getting for us when we went ahead and made this 34000 per bid mandate? We're guaranteed a certain amount of cash. And now that your president and your boss has put this executive order forth, he starts reading off the numbers. He says, we welcome everyone to this morning's hearing on oversight of the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. I'll begin by re recognizing myself for an opening statement. As the Obama administration consistently shrinks the universe of criminal and unlawful aliens that U.S. US Immigrations and Customs Enforcement can remove, ICE apprehensions have decreased 40% since this time last year. Now he said right off the bat, he didn't even wait to tell you what's really bothering him. He didn't even try to hide it. Look, I'm pissed off. These beds are supposed to be full. These people are worth $300 a day. I'm supposed to be getting a cut. His cut's missing. He wants his money. So he's got to have a meeting with the director of the, of the department that's responsible for bringing him his money. ICE apprehensions have decreased 40% since this time last year. ICE arrests of criminal aliens has declined 42%. The average age has declined to, the average daily has, a, has declined to approximately 26,000 beds. This has occurred despite a mandate in law that requires ICE to maintain a 34,000 average daily population in detention facilities. And the number of unlawful or criminal aliens that ICE has removed from the interior of the country has fallen by more than half since 2008. Many factors have uh, contributed to the sharp decline of interior immigration enforcement under this administration. So he starts off saying that the problem is that we're not detaining as many people as we should. We've set a capacity of 34,000 and we're averaging around 26,000. That's unacceptable. 
Those 8,000 people each represents $300 a day. Those 8,000 people in the difference between 26 to 34, those 8,000 people represents $100,000 each per year. Do you know how many millions and millions of dollars that is? That's a cut of money that those people, that they got lobbied and they got $45 million from CCA and GEO Group over the last several years to even put this kind of legislation in place. That's a huge chunk of cash that those guys are not getting. Whether they're getting it from some kind of direct payment from the private companies or not, I don't know. But I know the private prison companies have been spending $45 million with them to get their laws that were favorable to, to their bottom line business. So when they're not making as much as they can, then clearly they're looking for ways to maximize their profits. And they've got our politicians on the hook. These people don't give not one damn about public safety. They're not concerned about how many uh, illegals have come here and, and gotten DUIs. They really honestly don't give a damn because those people are being arrested and detained as according to our legal system that's already in place for regular Americans. It's not a situation where you've got a bunch of illegal aliens coming here and and running rampant over the countryside, just committing crime, and nobody can stop them. They're not; they don't have diplomatic immunity. This ain't lethal weapon. You just flip out your credentials and just do whatever you want to do. These people, when they get a DUI, they get arrested by cops and they go to jail. So this is not even a legitimate complaint. Sure, we would prefer they didn't come here and commit DUIs. And, and the crimes that they commit beyond that, and I'm not in any kind of way trying to protect people from criminality that, that they're committing. There's uh, reports that say that, you know, these people are contributing to uh, child molestations and rapes and murders in the, in our country. You know, there's something like 100,000 uh, known child molesters, I think, that come out of this 11 million some, I don't know how they got that number, but this, this so-called 11 million, you know, federal fugitives that have that are not here legally there's supposed to be a hundred thousand plus child molesters even among their ranks like known pedophiles or whatever that that come from other countries so i'm not saying that criminality doesn't exist within their ranks and i'm by no means belittling the need to to detain them but the point is he's talking about detaining them in immigrant detention facilities specifically He's not talking about the local cops can't do anything to them. He's not saying that, you know, highway patrol can't pull them over and state troopers can't put them in the, in the county. He's not, that's not even what's up on the discussion. What they're talking about is where's my cut? Cause see, Congress members don't get a cut, a direct cut anyway from, I don't know, Kansas City, Missouri police stopping an illegal alien that's here and got caught on a DUI and found with a weapon and and found out he was you know involved in a robbery or something that guy's going to go to the city jail here then he's going to go up through matriculate through the system and end up wherever they feel like he needs to go but every single one that I see ice is their personal slave catchers so that's his actual beef and that's really what the republican beef is about this overall yeah, it's somewhat because this African-American president has dared to put this executive order out to change the impact of law enforcement in areas where they've been biding their time and collecting their revenues. So yeah, they're a little bit upset about that. 
because they just didn't want him to be the guy. They just don't want him to do it. They fought with him for eight, <laughs> nearly eight years on it, pretty much everything that he's tried to put out, except for the stuff that makes all of the rich richer. I mean, they all get along with the bailouts, and all of them get along with the not prosecuting criminality in, in these higher ranks or whatever. They all get along with with uh, increasing the police state and funding of the police state and for, and funding foreign wars and all these things that makes them rich. They go along with that. But when it comes to decarcerating, when it comes to decriminalizing, when it comes to ramping down the war on crime, ramping down the war on drugs, ramping down the persecution and terrorization of regular citizens in this country, they're always against all of that because that just cuts into their money. And that's exactly what we're seeing what's happening right now. So back to the good sisters in the Carnes facility who are now hunger striking. This is the second hunger strike in a month calling for the release of their families and protesting against the unbearable conditions at this for-profit facility run by the Geo Group, one of the two biggest private companies that run prisons and detention centers in the United States of America. Detainees complained about the quality of food and water, sexual assault by guards, solitary confinement, and other inhumane conditions of imprisonment. Some mothers resort to work for $3 a day. Uh-oh. Did we just uncover slavery? Did Raw Story just give us evidence of slavery going on in the private prisons? I mean, it's to the point they don't even really try to hide it now. Again and again, we're finding these irregular news or news organization reports. The local news station that report that we read the report from on Wallace County a couple of months ago, when they went off and that place ended up being torn up, whoever tore it up, whoever burned it up. We know that those people were not only pissed off about the health care, lack of it, dying in custody, sick for months and years with no health care, the rapes, the brutalizations, the living conditions, the no plumbing, the bugs and the animals coming into the tent from outside, no space, no nothing, 200 men per tent, 10 tents, 2,000 men in a facility that was built for 800 people. We know all of that, and none of that made anybody change anything. But when they stopped going to work for Applebee's, when they stopped going to work for McDonald's, making uniforms, processing plastic wear, when they stopped processing McDonald's beef patties and chicken and dairy products and baking their bread for them and sending this out to the McDonald's so they can make billions and billions of dollars a day. When the people stopped doing that, then it became a riot suddenly. Then their strikes and their hunger strikes and all of that got on the radar and they sent in every law enforcement agency in a hundred mile radius to come get it under control. And that prison is closed now. So those slave, those slave contracts are dissolved. That city is rotting away. It has no other money. It's about to default on a $65 million bond program it put in place so it could afford to build the prisons. So it all collapses on one little thing. And now we're seeing that people are reporting about the slavery. They may not say slavery, but when you talk about a person in a prison working for a slave wage, that is slavery. When you talk about a person who's being detained, being forced to do labor, that's slavery. And not forced to do labor for rehabilitation, not forced to bust rocks like they're on Robin Island or something with Mandela. Forced to work for corporations. 
When you go into prison and you go to work for AT&T, that's not working to help rehab you or help make you a better person or make you pay your debt to society. To hell with AT&T. I don't owe them a debt. And no one that's incarcerated owes AT&T a debt. That's not a debt to society to go in there and go work for their call center and earn a dollar a day. Is they just... Excuse me, as they generate billions of dollars off of inmate slave labor. That's just not, those things don't go together. Some mothers resort to work for $3 a day just so they can buy their kids food and bottled water. That's inhumane treatment. That's slavery. That's, if it's not beating a person, forcing them to work, it's starving a person and letting a person have no water and dehydrating a person to the point where they will be compelled to go in there and go work for that corporation so they can get some food and water. That's torture. In my view, there's no way to detain families humanely, California Representative Judy Chu said at this House Judiciary Committee hearing. When I first learned that the average age on a child in a family detention center is six years old and there are even babies and toddlers being detained, I was shocked. As a psychologist, I know the mental health concerns that children and families in detention face. Detention in jail-like facilities re-traumatizes victims of violence and children in particular. As they said, these women are genuine asylum seekers. They really are running from murder and abuse and prostitution and rape and terrorization of all sorts. The United States policy on the drug, on, on what their part in the drug war for real, the supplying of it, the main, the maintenance of it, the expansion of it, the setting up deals with cartels like the Sinaloa cartel, which told us they've been at a, a deal with the DEA since the early 2000s. It's what? It ain't no big deal to us. They wanted us to help them get some, some of the other guys that do what we do. And we wanted to be able to operate basically with impunity. So we found a happy marriage. They agreed not to prosecute us on a large scale and as long as we gave them some info so they could make some big bust on the other guys. And they just talked about two other cartels. That has nothing to do with how many cartels are actually operating. You realize there's 350 million people in America, more or less? Drug use has never dissipated. People use drugs of all sorts. People drink every single day. It's just widespread in this country. Drug and alcohol use is the norm. It is the way the country was made. People have always drank and got high somehow. In this country, for some reason, I don't know if everywhere, but I mean, it's throughout biblical history, it's throughout all sorts of archived histories and cave wall drawings and everything else, people getting a buzz. So the United States of America just has itself set up where it can generate profits off of it. Vietnam, we were shipping the dope back in from the Triangle. We went right into the heart of the dope trade and commandeered the heroin right from where it comes from. And the hood and the poor people in the hood and all of that exploded with heroin availability. Look at us right now in Afghanistan. What are we doing? Protecting the poppy fields, shipping it right on in here uncut. Worldwide war on terror dope. All throughout the southern countries south of the border. Guatemala, Honduras, 
obviously Mexico, El Salvador, up and down the line. These people are shipping the dope right on through the open pipeline. And these women are seeking asylum from the drug wars, the turf wars, the terrorization. These people are unchecked and have money and guns and military backing and police backing. They're all involved in it. And the people that are just born and just want to have children and just want to work a job and be left alone, they're just getting massacred. We go to Libya and we start a war with Libya. We destroy the entire country, blow up everything. I mean, straight up, turn it to dust. Stone Age. It's like Flintstones over there for real right now. Rock car, rock house. Rocks everywhere, just on top of rocks and rebar. Because we got reports that there were people rebelling against Gaddafi's evil regime and he had killed how many people? How many people do you think he, he, he supposedly killed to justify us going to war? Thousand? Mexico has a thousand deaths a month right on our border, let alone throughout these countries all south of Mexico. We're talking hundreds of thousands of people being massacred tortured, raped are we going to war in Mexico right now are we sending troops are we drone striking are we sending advisors sending supplies, aid nothing we're taking that dope and we're getting our money and then when the people come to try to run from there to here still ignorant don't even understand what they're dealing with like I've said before Latino community you got to get up on this slavery thing you just straight up got to do it. I know last time it missed you and that's what's got you caught up right now that's what's got you about to really make a serious fatal move why you keep coming here and you keep getting in prison it's because last time slavery was here it was us you didn't feel like you had to really do anything to help you didn't conflict with America. You took the money. You fought a few little fights and wars and tried to act like you was a kid, but you really just got down with white supremacy at the end of the day. You identified more with your whiteness than with your humanity, than with your blackness, because you got some of that too. You identified more with white supremacy. You tried to jump on their side and be with them, but look what they're doing to you now. Your country is gone. Your your lands are gone. You can dream act all you want. You can force your way across these borders all you want. All you're going to get is slavery from these folks. Because that's all they got to give. And your women and your children are being detained. And the ones that aren't being detained are being shipped back. Some are getting away with being sent around and, and placed with their families here in the States. Okay cool you got a little trickle small amount small number of them that are making it but for the most part you're getting slavery because when they make it to be with their families all they're doing is put them in the local jurisdiction so they can be terrorized and profiled and further persecuted in the states so it's a long road ahead for you you need to consider abolitionism because slavery is all you're going to get coming to America Sad but true. We'll talk about the report from grassroots leadership again. They've got a few more details from that uh, discussing the 
private uh, for profit prison corporations and how they've spent over eleven million dollars just to lobby Congress specifically on the immigration detention quota, not even all of these other things which amounted to over forty five million but just eleven million on the quota alone. So we'll take our, for our next break. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia. We'll be right back. This is Brother Elliot, first of time for an awakening, and you're listening to Black Talk Radio Network, new media for the new millennium. And we are back. This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia here on the Black Talk Radio Network. And you know what I almost forgot to do today which is what I do every day which I always remind you of our Black Talk Radio Network fundraiser that's going on right now we are raising funds to run the network that's all it comes down to that's where the money will be going to help expand support beef up and and make it stronger and be able to reach more people and clearer signal and better equipment and all these types of things. This is a real undertaking. We don't just sit and talk and meditate on telling you things and then it magically by some telepathic way gets to your ears. This is an established network for radio broadcasting. So we have to spend that money to make it happen we have to increase the bandwidth as more and more listeners come so let me definitely say thank you to all of you who got the message and do give because without you there I mean there would be no network there'd be no fundraiser there'd be no network we would there'd be nothing and imagine the world in the void of our voice not just me obviously all of the people that are on this network this network has such a complete list a thorough list of people and list of ideas and and perspectives and topics and information scholars and professionals and just on and on you're going to have a hard time challenging what is going on with the Black Talk Radio Network you're going to have a hard time finding another network that is complete and does what we do and if there is one please let us know we need to connect and build with them if there's somebody else that's doing what we do we want to build with them we want to get you the information it's it's not a competition we should we should be working together to try to make this happen but as far as we know we are pretty much the only ones and definitely the only ones that are black owned so if you want to help build the black community if you want to um, make a commitment 
to making sure that this network stays around making sure this network expands making sure this network continues to get better and adds more stations and adds more people and more talent more dedicated soldiers in, in activism then you're going to have to make a financial commitment visit blacktalkradionetwork.com blacktalkmediaproject.org it's a simple click to donate tabs on the right there on the landing page and when you make that donation consider what type of a sacrifice you're willing to make to have a better community because we're against slavery on this program and on new abolitionist radio program but our networks like I said our programs that are up here represent all sorts of interests and concerns so if you want to see something here that's not here then you need to contact us and figure out how we can help you put together a program or if you want to help fund some new venture I'm sure there's talent that's available that will help you put together something even if you don't necessarily want to host or whatever but we can't do any of these things unless you give so you have to give you have to help and again thank you for all those that have because we see that you get it you believe in the dream you believe in the community And if you believe in it, then you support it. That's how you show you believe is, is to support. So we thank you for those that have given. Thank you for your belief. Thank you for your support. We thank you to all those that are about to give right now, even as I'm speaking, or even as they heard this for the first time. Now they're ready. So we say thank you to you. And we'll get back to our story we were talking about before the break. We were discussing before the break the asylum seekers the women, the mothers, the children running from the murder from the rape, from the torture from the being put in barrels and dipped in acid and put in barrels and set on fire and sealed inside of barrels drowned to death And I mean there's been so much stuff going on in, out of Mexico El Salvador Guatemala, I mean over the last decade even and even longer just straight up war and terrorism going on, I mean the most kidnappings anywhere on the planet probably one of the most murders it's just ridiculous and the United States is facilitating this because we're running the drug war through these states but the people in charge get a cut they get their money for turning the other way they get their money for protecting the pipeline and all this so no matter who you're electing no matter who's in top offices no matter who's saying whatever they're saying you might notice how high they're living on the hog and you're broke if there's no jobs, where are they getting rich from? If you don't have a job and you can't pay taxes, how are they getting wealthy? Because the United States is running a drug war right through your backyard and they're giving them a cut of the bread. So as we said, the grassroots leadership report, we talked about it last week on this program. They detailed how over $11 million has been spent just by CCA and GEO Group in the last six years to lobby Congress to keep that mandatory immigration detention quota. They said today nine out of ten of the largest immigration detention centers are all private, with eight owned by only two corporations, the GEO Group and CCA. 
Since the end of 2007, the Geo Group has increased their profits by 244%. You realize that they're not increasing their profits from their new line of canned corn they're selling now. You do understand that. They're not increasing their profits because they came up with a new running shoe. They didn't increase their profits by 244% in the last eight years because they developed some sort of a better baby monitor or a more comfortable and usable ink pen. They didn't make any kind of product to bring to market. That's what I'm saying. They haven't developed some new product. They have paid for the establishment of a market to be created so they could serve that market. The market that they paid to create was immigrant detention. So we used to just ship people back out of the country. When they come here, we just push them back out. If we caught them, we just push them back out. And when corporations were able to make significant profit increases when they were first getting here and they just used their labor, that's what they did. Nobody cared about pushing them back out in the 80s. Yeah, they talk about it here and there, but not for real because they put them to work. And they could undercut your job by giving them a job because they were off the off the books and under the table and everything else. You take cash in hand. They show up every day because they didn't have no other options. They didn't. Have, they weren't assimilated individuals. They didn't go out to the birthday party and drink too much and grope the coworkers and come in hungover and basically not be productive because their dad was somebody and you better not. I mean, all this crap we deal with on these freaking jobs. We've all had to deal with it. Year in, year out, there's some jackass that's a drug addict that just can't deal with life and just can't do his damn job, so we all got to pick up the slack for him all the time. See, these immigrant people aren't like that. They got a goal in mind. They got their eye on the prize. They're escaping from something that was horrible, and they just want to get here and get a job, and if you just paid him a couple hundred bucks, you just saved a couple thousand you had to pay this other idiot, and they don't cause no problems. Only problems that they've caused is workers' comp situations where they got hurt on the job or where there's some kind of OSHA requirements that can't be met because why are these people here? So that's the whole thing with immigrant workers is they're able to be off the books and increase productivity and increase uh, profitability for these companies and there was no problem. But it's just like shipping the jobs offshore to other countries uh, production as well as service jobs to Indonesia to Thailand to India to take advantage of slave labor Bangladesh and on and on China but then you got to ship the products back from overseas so you got to ship the materials you got to ship the people you got to ship the products you got to do all this shipping and the logistics is a pain It became a running joke and the movies all make a joke out of it and you talk about it. Everybody talks, man, I can't even understand this guy. He said his name is Todd, but I swear he sounds like he's talking to me, you know, from some foreign country. This is ridiculous. I don't even know what this guy's saying. So then you realize, oh, but wait, we've got slaves right here in America. 
that are even cheaper because we don't have to ship the products that they make. Shipping from Colorado, shipping from Kansas, shipping from Texas, but that's a hell of a lot better than shipping them from Bangladesh. So let's bring that slavery on back home. When we have this guy here that says his name is Todd, his name really is Todd, and he really does sound like an American when you call Verizon customer service. When you call AT&T customer service hotline. And this guy explains all of his product knowledge and customer service is on point and you're sitting there talking to him and he sounds like a really good guy. And he's sitting there in behind bars. He's in prison. He is a slave. He's making a dollar seventeen for that day's work. That's what the Geo Group created. Was a market for detaining people. And they've generated 244% increase in their profits as a result of doing that. So, again, as we look at the hearing that was referenced in that story, we've got several Congress people who are upset and discussing the numbers. It says this administration is responsible from January 1st, 2014 to September 30th, 2014. For 10,000 detainers that were not even honored. You had 10,000 people that you just didn't even put in, in detention. What the hell? That is my money. Says the congressman. The recidivism rate for these aliens was 29%. Innocent citizens and law enforcement officers could be injured, maimed, or murdered due to a detainer not being issued or honored, be or honored because of this administration's policy. See, they always want to put the fear freaking factor in when really it's just the money. Just tell us it's the money. Just tell us what it really is. Look, tens of thousands of people, these are opportunities. These are profit opportunities for us. Now, we didn't get these jobs. We didn't steal these positions. We didn't do all the corrupt things we did to get in this situation for you people to sit up here and support this president who's undercutting our dollars. They don't give not one damn about officers of the law being injured, maimed, or murdered due to a, a person who should be detained not being detained. President Obama's policies are making it to where our Border Patrol agents could get hurt. They could get hurt no matter how many people we detain. That's why they carry guns and weapons and they set themselves up as a military force, right? That's why police that go to Ferguson to to police the streets from the protesters. First of all, who are the protesters even protesting? How? Do, where do you know how to? Like, how do you know where to go to to protect who from the protesters? Who are they even protesting? See, if they were protesting the city government, which is persecuting them, they'd be at the city hall. So you need tanks and MRAPs and snipers and ride riot squads or whatever to protect the city hall building from protesters who have signs and seem to know where the line is that they shouldn't cross to go in and disrupt the actual proceedings they just want to be outside and bitch and moan and tell the people stop hurting their feelings stop putting them in jail stop taking their money but we send in military police force to stop the protesters so we know that these police can protect themselves. We know the Border Patrol can protect itself. 
We're not being attacked by some aggressive military force from this immigration situation. These are individuals that are dead ass broke, running from person. If they had guns and weapons and could kill a bunch of people, they'd be killing people in El Salvador. They'd be in Guatemala going to war with the cartels. It's the fact that they don't have guns and they don't have weapons and they don't have money and they don't have resources. That's why the Border Patrol is dealing with them in the first place because they don't have nothing to protect themselves. So they come in here to get protection. So putting out a false narrative to the American people as though you're so irate because everybody's life is at risk when these people come here, that's a freaking joke. It's all about the money. They want that freaking money. And this is what they do with official congressional proceedings. This takes up entire days of our lawmakers' time to sit and talk about this in grandstand and put out these false narratives and basically try to intimidate the new director of ICE to do what they said and not what her boss told her to do. They asked her many times, what are you going to do? Are you going to enforce this? I mean, you realize you can't reinforce this, right? I mean, I know you got to do your job, but I'm just asking you, are you going to do what he said do? Are you going to not let these agents detain these people? Tell us what are you going to do, director? And she told him, I got to do my job. President Obama is my boss. He appointed me to this job. Like, I have to do what he said to do. So we don't see these things the way you see it. We're not seeing these numbers as being an issue of these people not being detained. We're shipping the people back across the border. That's what we used to do. Well, no, no, madam, they, they need to be detained. We found that there's a lot of criminality and we just, we don't feel safe. And then we found a few cases where you were supposed to be shipping them out of the country and then you found family that they had here in the country and then we put these people on planes and shipped them to other states around the country and reunited them with their family this year. So we're basically engaged in human trafficking now. They admitted to human trafficking in these proceedings for the sake of disparaging President Obama's executive actions because they're not getting paid. They're willing to admit that it's slavery and human trafficking going on in this immigration system. According to our policies currently, they were willing to disclose that in congressional proceedings for the sake of saying, look, you got to get us all of our money. We can't keep seeing these numbers of daily detention rates going down. At one point, they were corrected, and this is when I learned something. And it was said that, Congressman, it should be added to the record, that the 34000 per day mandate is a bed availability mandate. It's not necessarily a mandate that 34,000 people have to be detained in those beds. Crickets start chirping. All of a sudden, you can hear the sounds of nature as silence. Because now they're blown out. Now it's busted out. Before, they had everybody thinking... And I agree, again, myself included, watching this and learning of this, reading about this for the last couple of years, that's what I've been under the impression that they meant 34,000 people per day have to be kept. They were made, uh, that was corrected, and they let them know, look, while you bitching and moaning about this, just understand, this is a bed, so we just have to have the availability of this. So now you and I, Mr. and Mrs. Taxpayer, now consider the fact that we are subsidizing the private prison industry to just have bed availability. Filling the beds is bad enough. Slavery is bad enough. 
having the situation that's in hand is bad enough. And sadly, that's kind of like the only way to improve it is for us to just pay for a bunch of empty beds. That is somewhat of a victory. But damn, if the system is not so screwed that we're still paying the private prisons, even if we get, like with this executive action, this executive order by the president, even if we get to see less people detained, and we see the numbers dropping in the 20s, and then they drop below the 20s, we get to a point where we see 10,000 people a day detained, and the numbers drop. Even if we see these things happening, we're still on the hook for 34,000 beds being made available, and we know that each of those beds is around $300 per bed. We're still on the hook for hundreds of millions of dollars to the private prisons, even if we're able to take the human beings out of it. As Max Barthas always says, revolution, man. Revolution. Abolitionism is a reason for revolution. When you look at what we're actually trying to get done, how we're getting screwed, where we need to try to save some money and where we can cut some corners and get some of the fat off, the way to get this kind of thing to change almost always comes down to some degree or another of engaging in revolutionary behavior. Because this is the system of law we have in place, so you tell me how we're going to work within the system to create a to create significant change. Stephen Chabot, U.S. Representative, uh, Republican, Ohio. Judy Chu, U.S. Representative, Democrat, California. John Conyers Jr., U.S. Representative, Democrat, Michigan. Susan Diabine. U.S. Representative, Washington. Ron DeSantis, Florida. J. Randy Forbes, Virginia. Trent Franks, Arizona. On and on and on. All these members of the House Judiciary Committee. These are all your local Congress people. This is what they're working on. That's why I'm naming them. This is So you know who represents you from where you're at. And you know what your local situation is, what your local needs are, what you're worried about, and you you voted for these people. You carry your demand for their vote. You carry your demand for their accountability. This is what they're doing, though, is trying to get their money back. They're not really enacting laws to protect you or make you safe, to help you bring home more money to take care of your family, protect your future, protect our environment. Make sure we even have a country. Make sure we even have water. They're not working on that. They are pissed off about the money. And I don't know how we're going to get it back from them. I don't know how we're going to get this legislation struck down. Even when people are not being detained, they still will collect money for the beds. They're pissed because they're not getting the slave labor. Yeah, they got the beds, but hell, we're down. We told, we told freaking McDonald's we had 34,000 people for them. That's a huge difference in the workforce availability. When you promise corporations you got 34,000 people, you got 34,000 people. They show up with 34,000 people worth of work. You present 26,000 people. 
The work don't get done. You're not here to pay these people overtime. We got deadlines to meet. We got Wall Street to be concerned about. Congress can't seem to deliver. Yeah, they're pissed. They can't deliver what they said they would deliver. So they're working to make some changes there. They keep talking about the safety. I can only hope that as a new director of ICE, you will reconsider these policies put in place by your predecessors and return ICE to an agency that puts public safety and the enforcement of our immigration laws as its number one concern. I just hope that's what you do. Like, basically, thinly veiled threats thrown at the, at the new director of Saldana. Like, basically just letting her know, we're going to make your job hell because we want our money. And that damned Obama cut us out of our money somehow. So the last ICE director's gone. You're here now. What do you think's going to happen to you if you don't do what we want you to do? Again, says the department shall maintain a level of not less than 34,000 detention beds. It's not people, but beds, and I think we need to make sure, clear, sure and clear what the statute requires, and I would ask unanimous consent to both those in, re- in the record. Yield back my time, da-da-da-da-da. So they know what they're dealing with, so we'll move on from that. The big one that I'm struggling to wrap my mind around still now. We'll give some intro to this and read from this story and get this thing going and then uh, be into our next break, but... The most incredible thing I've heard of in quite some time. The FBI admits that flaws in hair analysis, admits to flaws in hair analysis over the decades. This is from the Washington Post. The Justice Department and the FBI have formally acknowledged that nearly every examiner in an elite FBI forensic unit gave flawed testimony in almost all trials in which they offered evidence against criminal defendants over more than a two decade period before the year 2000. We'll just have a moment of silence for what was left of your sanity. Because I know that just killed it off. I know that just crushed you like it crushed me. Like, what in the hell are we dealing with? The Justice Department and the FBI have formally acknowledged that nearly every examiner in an elite FBI forensic unit gave flawed testimony in almost all trials in which they offered evidence against criminal defendants over more than a two-decade period before the year 2000. That's not a misprint. I'm not reading it wrong. You're not hearing it wrong. The government just told you we have been screwing over people filling up the prisons based on flawed flawed science. We, we, We haven't done the right thing. I don't know, people. I don't know what to tell you. When we discuss lawlessness, I I get this backlash sometimes, like we're just reactionary and we're just crazy and we just, we're just loose and and wild with the way we talk and we just don't love America and, and, and just all these other things where it's us some kind of way. If you could just stop those new abolitionists from what they're talking about, if you could just make us shut up. The problems would go away because it's not the system. No, the system is the greatest in the world. 
America's the only place that's actually free. Right? Of examiners with the FBI's laboratory, uh, with the FBI laboratory's microscopic hair comparison unit, 26 overstated forensic matches in ways that favored prosecutors in more than 95% of the 268 trials reviewed so far. Forgive me if I need to keep taking deep breaths to just be able to keep my head from exploding when I read this. You know we talk about the exonerated all the time. You know we talk about wrongfully accused people all the time. You know we discuss miscarriages of justice. We discuss all the people that get railroaded right on into this system, made slaves, prosecuted, lives ruined, convictions, felonies, lose the people out of the community, lost the family. I mean, just every imaginable atrocity we discuss that here all of the time and it's constantly some kind of backlash like we just don't know what the hell we're talking about we just love the criminals and we don't want to prosecute crime and we just don't appreciate the cops deserve to go home every evening and be with their family and all that other rhetoric on the other side that so many of you just eat up like babies just eat just just sucking up the, the, the milk but the meat of the problem is what we're talking about right now so I don't know how you're going to be able to digest it. You've been on the milk so long, you just love that that propaganda tit. You don't want the meat. So here's the meat. So you get ready to choke on it. 28 examiners with the FBI's microscopic hair comparison unit. 26 of them overstated forensic matches in ways that favor prosecutors. Magically, they never favored the defendant somehow magically they could never just come up with information that showed that nope that guy he's not associated with this they overstated all of the, the craziness to favor prosecutors in more than 95% of 268 trials reviewed so far according to the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers and the Innocence Project which are assisting the government with the country's largest post conviction review of question forensic evidence this is the Abolitionist Daily. We're going to take another break. We're going to come back and get into the meat of this ridiculousness. This is Ron Hayes with Hood News, and you're listening to the Black Talk Radio Network. Stay tuned.
This is the Abolitionist Daily. This is Johan and Elia here on the Black Talk Radio Network. Let me check the phone line as I'm giving you the number to it again. Uh, area code 712-775-7035. Participant code is 367526-POUND. You hit star 6 and 1 and you'll be in the caller's queue. We'd be happy to take your call, listen to you. If you have any complaints or concerns or questions or anything like that, disputes, or you just want to shout out your allegiance with the abolitionist movement, and God knows we need more abolitionists. When you hear this kind of craziness, this is a job for the abolitionists. See, when you can take away the incentive of making a person a slave, when you can take away that financial incentive that's associated with convicting and incarcerating people and enslaving people, when you can take the money out of the deal, then there ain't no money to go around so you don't have people that are doing stuff like examiners with the FBI's laboratory. Oh, like Annie Dukin, how she was doing in her laboratory up there in Boston, 10,000 cases at least. And little Katie Corbett, her little blonde hair, blue eyed assistant that went and sat on the prosecutor's witness, sat there on the stand and testified that she was a forensic expert and a, uh, uh, a chemist by trade and a expert in all these different things that she testified and got all those people convicted, but she didn't go to prison for it. Annie Dukin was the brown one. She went to prison. And she admitted that there was a financial incentive. They give them a certain amount of money for each one of these kits. These, these test kits that come back, they get money for the ones that lead to convictions. I mean, what the hell? How do you expect anybody to do anything other than take? That's free money. I don't know this guy. It's a black dude. He looks like a criminal to me. If they even see the pictures, I don't even know if they see the people to even know. They just don't care, period. It could be a, a, a million grandmothers lined up to him. They just start throwing grandmas in prison because they get 50 bucks for every convicted conviction kit that comes through. Rape kit, swab kit, oral fluids kit, piss test kit, whatever. Biopsy, blood test, skin graft, whatever. Hair. They don't care. Whatever you can send them, just send me some. I'll make it a conviction for you. Give me my 50 bucks. Trying to buy a boat, man. Trying to, trying to live big. Got a nice little little house in the hills I'd like to put a chunk of down payment money on, you know? I can't qualify for financing on a on a five hundred thousand dollar house with what I make every year. Come on. Hell yeah, I'll throw these people in jail. What how many you need? What just send me whatever you got and I'll just make sure they're they're all positive tests and nobody's gonna check. Nobody cares. Look at our prison system, man. We've gone from seven hundred thousand in nineteen ninety to a million and ninety six to one point five million in two thousand to one point eight million by two thousand five, and 
Look at us now. We're sitting right around 2.4 million people. Obviously, people don't care. So give me the kits, and we'll get the convictions, and you can get your promotions, and I can get my money, and we can all just be happy. We're the people that God likes. We're the ones that are supposed to be living this life. We're doing it the right way. All those other little urchins and poor people and dummies and mentally ill, and they shouldn't have got themselves in that situation, man. I'm tough on crime. I don't believe in that. I didn't do crime. I came from poor neighborhoods. I grew up rough. I don't believe in any of those things. I don't I don't support that. So these people, you know what? This is America. We need to be about the law here. So just send me the kids and I'll break the law all damn day to prove that they're guilty of breaking the law. That's what you're dealing with, people. You need the abolitionists on your side. These cases include those of 32 defendants who have been sentenced to death. Oh, now we get even deeper into it. Of those, 14 have already been executed or died in prison. I don't know what you're going to do about it. I'm an abolitionist, so I'm already doing. I'm I'm in there. I'm getting down with it. We're working with people to help to draft different types of legislation that could get these people brought up on charges. We're working with attorneys that are experts in these fields. We're working with the people that are advocates for the mentally ill. We're working with the people. We're doing the work. We're in these trenches. We're working right now on a campaign to start to qualify these candidates so we can find out who's actually against modern day slavery and human trafficking where do they stand on funding private prisons where do they stand on taking jobs out of the communities and sending them into private prisons this is what we're doing because we're abolitionists we're constantly reviewing the information we're looking at the DOJ report out of Ferguson and out of 21 other cities Ferguson has been found in cities all over America for years it is the way America has been set up from the beginning. We're spreading this information. We're in the propaganda war. We're in the real war. We got loved ones on the plantation. We're fighting for their rights. We're sending out the calls to action when folks are being denied their human rights, when they're being denied health care rights, when they're being starved, when they're being abused, when they're being forced into slavery, rapes and beatings, tortures. We're the ones putting out the call to action. We're the ones getting you the phone numbers and the emails and the, and the letter writing campaigns and the locations so you can go to these places and go protest right at the front door to stop torturing people and stop killing our people and, and stop with the slavery. So we're doing what we can and always looking for how we can do more. But I want to know what are you going to do if you're not an abolitionist, then what are you going to do about this? Are you just going to take another hit? Are you just going to be cool with it? And, oh, well, you know, this is just America. That's just how things are here. Every, it can't be perfect. No system is perfect. I mean, come on. Are you just going to use that one? No system is perfect, but I feel safer because of the way the system is. I mean, sorry about those people that were executed by the state because of those lies and that those those false evidence that was presented. In all those death penalty cases, I mean, it's sorry. I mean, it happens. You're not going to be perfect. I heard a guy say, uh, when you stub your toe, you know you're making progress. 
So now 14 people being murdered that were part of this investigation so far. It's been less than 300 cases investigated. They already got 14 people dead. Damn, those are rough numbers. Those are rough numbers. That's like Newtown numbers. You know, was it 30 people got shot? 20 some of them died? Out of how many people? 40 or 400 or so people at the school? That's Newtown massacre numbers. Yeah, that's real. You had 300, 286 cases, 268 cases. 14 people have been executed by the state or died in prison on false evidence. This is your America. See, I don't claim it. This is why we get the little ridiculous letters and notes from people. Well, they said he's not an American. You're damn right. To be an American is to be with this. I was kidnapped and brought here, man. This ain't where I'm from. This ain't no place for me. They don't love me. They don't care about me here. I could be a slave here or I can die. Free slave outside or go inside and be a slave on that level. Or just die. How can you claim to be an American and every day we keep showing you all of the things that it means to be an American? It, it don't mean a damn thing to eat a damn piece of apple pie and shoot off a bottle rocket and wave a flag over your head. That means nothing. Because you go to the ball game and stand next to your son and put your hand over your heart and watch the jets fly over the stadium. Woohoo! And see him carry the flag out on the field and fold it up and we're going to play football now. That makes you an American? No. What makes you an American is being complicit in human rights violations and crimes of every imaginable sort. That makes you an American. That's the reality of you being an American. Is you are complicit in American policy crimes. American system and institutional crimes. That's what's making you an American. You ain't invented a damn thing. You ain't built nothing. You work for somebody. You consume material goods. You pay for access to resources and services. You are a happy sheeple. You buy stuff, you pay for stuff. You go to work for somebody so you can get money to buy stuff and pay for stuff and make yourself feel okay by drinking or using drugs or having sex or going to church. It's pretty basic. You may think it's some extravagant, some elaborate, some unique and special life you're living, but really that's all it boils down to in 95% or more cases of all these 300 plus million American people here. It boils down to I buy stuff, I drink and eat and use stuff. I have sex. I'm a mom. I'm a dad. I'm a boyfriend. I'm a girlfriend. I'm a husband. I'm a wife. I'm an employee. I'm a church member. I'm an atheist. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. You, but to, to add all that stuff up, you ain't nothing. Because under that umbrella of all those things, you got 2.4 million people in prison. And as we point out day to day to day, it's a big old chunk of them people ain't did nothing to nobody. They just got caught up. And you're not working with systems to abolish that. So that makes you complicit in it. While you're a mom, while you're a dad, while you're having sex, while you're buying burgers and 
making Walmart a $100 billion a year company. You're complicit in the crimes. Your own federal government tells you city after city after city is engaged in continuing conspiracy to criminally extort resources from people. You're not rising up and tearing it down. You're not kicking the people out of office. You're not forcing someone to enforce the law and bring about criminal charges against people that are doing this. You're complicit in it. You are an American. You get down with it. A lot of you think praying to Jesus is going to make it okay. It's a whole lot of people just, you know, today's Monday. A lot of people just went to church yesterday and got absolved of all their guilt and all their sins. We just had Easter not too long ago. A whole lot of people bought new dresses and new suits for their babies and got all dressed up in pastels and went around and chased colored eggs and served about 10 different gods all at the same, all at the same time. And they feel like that's, I mean, I'm being very serious though. This is, I'm bringing this up because it's very serious. This is why this is happening. This is why for decades, FBI laboratory experts have been lying on the stand, sending forth false information, favoring the prosecution, driving up our, our prison numbers, ruining lives, destroying communities, leaving you without your son or your daughter, your husband, your wife, your fiance, your brother, destroying the black family, destroying the Latino families that are here already and the ones that's coming to, destroying the families of the poor people that don't have legal defense, making a myth out of what we heard the judge say himself, making a myth out of the constitutional right to a fair trial. Because not only are they using this evidence, this is just a handful because they're talking about trials. We know 97% of federal cases are adjudicated by plea deals 94% of state cases never go to trial the people take the pleas so if they're telling you about all these hundreds of cases they've looked at so far which are trials and the evidence favors the prosecutors 95% of the time in the actual trials if they can lie and cheat and, and worm their way around in the actual trial I wonder what you think is the possibility, if there's any probability that an individual is going to be able to defend themselves against stacked up charges of prosecutors working with these same kind of people, the Annie Dukins of the world, the FBI laboratory techs of the world, when they're just stacking charges and trying to scare somebody that don't have bail money, has been sitting in jail for weeks and months and don't even have a trial date yet because they don't want to take the plea because they didn't do it but damn I can't live in jail forever and I can't risk going to prison they came back with evidence that said I did it oh man I didn't do it though well that's not what our evidence says we got a lab man it's the FBI lab it's the best lab in the world you get what we're saying you ever seen CSI yeah that lab we got magical computers man we can draw, we can go back in time and look at a video of you doing the crime. We got you right here, man. We caught you. The hair says you did it. How about you just take this? Just take this 10 years. 
Because if you don't, you're going to be looking at, you know, you could be looking at the death sentence, actually. Yeah, we already killed 14 people. Did we lie it on? You want to be next? Or you want to take the plea? 97% folks, federal cases, plea deals. 94% state cases, plea deals. And when they look into the trials, look what they find is going on in the federal trials. Rampant lawlessness and disregard for human life in pretty much every capacity imaginable other than generating revenue for their interest. Outside of getting their money, I don't know what the hell your purpose is. They don't care about you as a neighbor. They don't care about you as a citizen. In the, how? What can you say to justify to me that you actually care about me and my family when every single day I see I don't make this up. I just simply read my emails. I simply just read the news. I have Google alerts set up in my email on my Google on my Gmail account with probably 15 different alerts. I could easily do dozens or hundreds if I could possibly read the mail. I got like, I think maybe 12 because I think I took down about three of them. Simple Google alerts. Mass incarceration, private prisons, I got specific Google alerts for Geo Group, for CCA. Hell, I need to set up one for FBI Laboratories incompetence. I need to set up one for prosecutorial misconduct. I got police shootings. I got school to prison pipeline. I mean, I got very general search terms set up as these aren't like long tail specific keyword type Google alerts. One or two words and it should be a pretty broad range of stuff to come in. And I sift through it and find what's being repeated and what's basic, you know, everyday, day-to-day news, business as usual type stuff. And every day I've got way more bombshell stories than I even got time to talk about. So you tell me how we're supposed to believe these people care about us like they've got our best interests at heart because of what? Get specific about what you think they're doing that shows you that they are here and they care about you. Is it because of the flag ceremony before the game? Is it because we sing the national anthem before the games? I think a lot of people believe that that's love. I think that's what, uh, because that's where we most, that's what most people see. It's the ball game and the flag and the, and the star spangled banner and then drink a beer, have a hot dog. This is America. This is what we do. Beautiful ballpark, nice sunny day. The whole propaganda, man, the, the flag on the Bud Light label. This stuff is what's got people caught up. This is not what's got us really seeing the truth of the situation. Become an abolitionist. Says the FBI errors are here. They try to cover themselves up. FBI errors alone do not mean there was not other evidence of a convict's guilt. Defendants and federal and state prosecutors in 46 states in the district are being notified to determine whether there are grounds for appeals. Four defendants have already been exonerated. The admissions mark a watershed in one of the country's largest forensic scandals, highlighting the failure of the nation's courts for decades to keep bogus scientific information from juries, legal analysts analysts have said. The question now, they say, 
is how state authorities and courts will respond to findings that confirm long-suspected problems with subjective pattern-based forensic techniques like hair and bite mark comparisons that have contributed to wrongful convictions in more than one quarter of 329 DNA exoneration cases since 1989. Hmm. I don't even know. I don't know. Flawed forensic hair testimony from the FBI lab. The FBI has identified for review roughly 2,500 cases in which the FBI lab reported a hair match. Reviews of 342 defendants' cases have been completed. About 1,200 cases remain, including 700 in which police or prosecutors have not responded to requests for trial transcripts or other information. 268 trials in which hair evidence was used against defendants. FBI examiners gave flawed forensic testimony in 257 of those 268 trials. In 268 trials in which hair evidence was used against criminal defendants, 257 trials with flawed forensic testimony, 32 of those were death penalty cases. In a statement, the FBI and Justice Department vowed to continue to devote resources to addresses to address all cases and said they are committed to ensuring that affected defendants are notified of past errors and that justice is done in every instance. The department and the FBI are also committed to ensuring that the accuracy of future hair analysis testimony as well as the application of all disciplines of forensic science. Peter Newfield, co-founder of the Innocence Project, commended the FBI and the department for the collaboration but said the FBI's three-decade use of microscopic hair analysis to incriminate defendants was a complete disaster. We need an exhaustive investigation that looks at how the FBI, state governments, and state governments that relied on examiners trained by the FBI, and the courts allowed this to happen and why it wasn't stopped much sooner. Norman L. Reimer of the NACDL's executive director said, hopefully this project's project establishes a precedent so that in future situations, it will not take years to remediate the injustice. Yeah, good luck. How about slavery reparations? How ending slavery? You want to talk about years to remediate injustice? While unnamed federal officials previously previously acknowledged widespread problems, the FBI until now has withheld comment because findings might not be representative. Senator Richard Blumenthal, Democrat from Connecticut, a former prosecutor, called on the FBI and Justice Department to notify defendants in all 2,500 targeted cases involving an FBI hair match about the problem even if their case has not been completed and to redouble efforts in the three-year-old review to retrieve information on each case. These findings are appalling and chilling in their indictment of our criminal justice system, not only for potentially innocent defendants who have been wrongfully imprisoned and and even executed, but for prosecutors who have relied on fabricated and false evidence despite their intentions to faithfully enforce the law. As if. Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Charles E. Grassley out of Iowa and panel's ranking Democrat Patrick Leahy urged the Bureau to root cause analysis to prevent future breakdowns. It is critical that the Bureau Bureau identify and address the systemic factors that allowed this far-reaching program to occur and continue for more than a decade. Wrote James Comey, FBI Director, on March 27th, as findings were being finalized, the FBI is waiting to complete all reviews to assess causes, but as acknowledged, so they're not even going to talk about like why this happened until they get done finding out and admitting to finding out the damage control of how many and then deciding on how many to tell you actually happened, even though we know there's going to be way more than what they tell us. 
But until they come to a number on that, they're not even going to get into telling you why this happened. The FBI uh, is waiting to complete all reviews to assess causes, but has acknowledged that their hair examiners until 2012 lacked written standards defining scientifically appropriate and erroneous ways to explain results in the court. So here we got another training problem, people. Your whole persecution of your life is based on somebody who wasn't trained correctly. You realize that. The Bureau expects this year to complete similar standards for testimony and lab reports for 19 different forensic disciplines. Well, good on you. Hot damn. You're going to put in some... Oh, wow, man. That would be just great. That would be just awesome. And I said I would connect this to Scalia, what he had to say. He told us before that he didn't believe America had ever wrongfully executed anyone. Justice Scalia says executing the innocent doesn't even violate the Constitution, though. And this came from back when we had the exoneration earlier this year of the two brothers out of North Carolina that were on death death row. Henry McCollum and his half-brother Leon Brown who have been arrested for rape and killing of Sabrina Bowie back in 1983 and they spent all those years in prison and on death row all that time well they got exonerated and it came back to 1994 when Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia voted against a petition asking the Supreme Court to review the case of one of those men so he made sure they stayed in prison for a whole another what is that in 94 another 20 years that man became North Carolina's longest serving death row inmate after he and his half-brother Leon Brown were convicted of that rape. This news brings to mind Scalia's insistence that the Supreme Court has never ruled the Constitution forbids the execution of a convicted defendant who later con- convinces a court of his innocence. This court has never held that the Constitution forbids the execution of a convicted defendant who has had a full and fair trial but is later able to convince a habeas court that he is actually innocent. This is a dissent he wrote in 2009 in response to the death row uh, carrying out the death sentence against Troy Davis. Quite to the contrary, we have repeatedly left that question unresolved while expressing considerable doubt that any claim based on alleged actual innocence is constitutionally cognizable. Man, see Dred Scott, there is nothing. (laughs) There are no laws that the white man is responsible for upholding in the interest of the black individuals. We're talking about Troy Davis. We're talking about Henry McCollum. We're talking about Leon Brown. We're talking about brothers on the death penalty, on death row. And no, hell no, there ain't no obligation of the court to find that a person was found innocent of whatever they did and they don't have to be killed. Kill them anyway. That's all we got time for with all of that today. This is ridiculous, the things that we got going on in America. I hope that you learned and and gotten something out of this today. I mean, I, I... I will admit to you that sometimes it's a struggle. It's so incredible. It's so ridiculous. It's so extreme. I'm willing to admit to you. I'm not a professional journalist. Like, I mean, you know, I'm not a one of these guys or whatever. I'm not on Fox News with an earpiece in my ear and a script that they've given me to follow and a teleprompter and words they want me to say. All I can do is read the news, study the news, go through all the resources I can find to try to help find out what's going on and how to combat it and share that with you. 
And sometimes it's a little, it's a little too much. Sometimes it's, it's way out of control. Um, sorry, I just realized we, I'm so short on time. We don't have time today for our unexplainable black death profile, but I promise you, how about this? We'll go tomorrow. We'll discuss, uh, this brother's case and how he was brutalized by the Baltimore police before we actually got the news of what was going on. And then now we just found out here just within the last couple of days that he was actually, uh, he's actually died in the ICU. So this becomes an unexplainable black death. So we will lead off tomorrow, uh, tomorrow's program, uh, April 21st, uh, program or podcast with, uh, with, with that story. So, for now, that is what we got for today. Peace to the abolitionists and death to these oppressors. I am out. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.